Chris Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed watching the Buffalo Bills against the reigning defending Super Bowl champion, Los Angeles Rams. I think I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. You probably enjoyed it a lot more than you thought you were going to. But even after all that enjoyment, you may have noticed that the title of this podcast is boring. And the title of the future podcasts might be boring. Y'all know I love my weird titles to podcasts. But recently, I've come around to the idea that it's not really good for search engine optimization. It's not really great in helping people find your podcast. It's not really great at going back and finding specific episodes because you have to look at the date because the title really doesn't tell you things like that. So I might just have to settle for really clever subtitles. So if you are a trumpet player, or even better, if you are a bugle player, play taps for me. And my wonderful titles as they (sighs) cease to exist moving forward. I had to get one more little shot in, you know, Bruce Wright's boring title in the title. Just kind of stick it to the man. In this case, the man being me. But we're going to talk about the narratives from the Buffalo Bills, Los Angeles Rams game on Thursday Night Football. And we've got a lot to get into. But I'm going to start by telling you a story. I may have mentioned before that I'm a big burger guy. I love hamburgers. Huge hamburger fan. In fact, if you gave me a last meal, it would very likely be a really good cheeseburger. That's how highly I think of hamburgers. In the 1980s, A&W, yes, that's right, the root beer company, but also a chain of fast food restaurants, released a burger that they intended to compete with the quarter pounder from McDonald's. They decided that they were going to one-up McDonald's. McDonald's had a quarter pounder. They were going to release a third pounder. Customers really didn't respond to this burger. They didn't take to it the way that A&W thought that they would. And so they went about finding out why. So they got some focus groups together, and they discovered that over half the people that were part of these focus groups, thought a third was less than a quarter. Over half the people who were in these groups thought they were getting a smaller burger than the McDonald's quarter pounder and quarter pounder with cheese. They couldn't do fractions. A&W did not want to believe this, but it was true. A major factor in the lack of success for their burger was the stupidity of the populace. And sometimes things come down to a lot simpler of an explanation than you otherwise would like to imagine. 
The Buffalo Bills are a better team in 2022 than the 2021 season Super Bowl champions. It was really that simple. They were more talented. Sean McDermott outcoached Sean McVay. Sometimes you might not want to believe it. And maybe part of the Rams organization, Rams media, doesn't want to believe it. But as of right now, that's true. Now, that could change. Things are fluid. But the Buffalo Bills were the better team. It kind of felt like a college game when I was watching it, where you know who the better team is a lot of the time, but it takes a minute to manifest. If you are the fan of a meaningful college football team, you occasionally have these weeks where they'll play a team that is 99.99999% chance you're going to win. And sometimes after the first quarter, it's 7-7. Seven to seven. And very few people panic because they know that over the course of an entire game, the better team will manifest itself and it'll probably be my team. I'm an Ohio State fan. We've talked about this before. And so when I watch Ohio State play Arkansas State, if it's... 7-7 or 7-3 after the first quarter, I'm not panicking because I know that the Buckeyes are a better team and you've got three quarters to go and that's probably going to come out in the wash. And that's exactly what happened. And that's kind of how I felt watching the Buffalo Bills against the Los Angeles Rams. I felt like in the first half, the only thing that was actually keeping the Los Angeles Rams in the game was the fact that the Buffalo Bills had some weird turnovers. And that's a weird feeling to have. I think we all said going into this year that this was the most gifted team that Sean McDermott has had and maybe the most gifted Buffalo Bills team since the Super Bowl teams in the 1990s. But seeing it manifest itself was different than seeing it on paper. Seeing it validate itself against a good team, because make no mistake, the Rams are a good team. They're going to be a good team in 2022. But seeing it manifest itself against that team is impressive. A lot of times after week one, you still don't know a lot about a football team. Obviously, three games is a trend. We've talked about this before. But that's almost instant validation for this 2022 Bills team. And because of that, and by extension, it's instant validation for Bills Mafia. One of the narratives that came out of the game which was weird because I thought we were probably done talking about this was Josh Allen on the field and his demeanor versus Josh Allen off the field. They were talking about on the broadcast that Josh Allen actually practiced post-game interviews when he was very young. He would watch other quarterbacks do post-game interviews and he would practice for post-game interviews. I don't know if you all are familiar with the movie The Prestige. It's a Christopher Nolan film. I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan. But it's one of my favorite, and I think most underappreciated, movies. And in this movie, a couple of magicians observe an old man who appears to be moving very slowly, delicately, almost as if disabled, across the stage before bringing a large piece of cloth up 
in front of a table and then dropping it to reveal that he has placed an object that was previously not there on top of the table. They observe this same magician after the show, moving slowly, needing help to get in his carriage. And Alfred Borden, the character played by Christian Bale, remarks that, no, 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 that's not the trick referring to the old man on the stage. This is the trick referring to the old man trying to get in his carriage. The trick was that the old man was never disabled. He needs to move like that so he can carry these heavy objects in between his knees slowly across the stage. That's the way I feel about Josh Allen off the field versus Josh Allen on the field. I don't think Josh Allen becomes a different person when he's on the field. If he became a different person when he was on the field, I don't think he would need to practice his off-the-field interviews. He wouldn't have to practice post-game interviews. The guy you see on the field, screaming, yelling, the swag, the dog in him, that's the actual Josh Allen. The stuff you see in front of the mic, that's the trick. Because everybody knows who's played against Josh Allen. Josh Allen's a little bit of a trash talker. If I was playing against Josh Allen, I would hate him. I don't know if he's going to slide. I don't know if he's going to run over me. I don't know if he's going to stiff arm me. I don't know if he's going to hurdle me. I don't know if he's going to talk trash to me while he's on his back because I hit him and I thought it was good. And then he looks at me and goes, you know, it's a touchdown, right? I would absolutely hate playing against Josh Allen if I was on the opposing team. But the on the field Josh Allen, that's the real one. The after the game Josh Allen, that's the trick. And I can't think of a lot of people in Bill's Mafia who would have it any other way. We've got some more stuff to talk about, but we're going to take a quick break. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We talked about Josh Allen. We talked about the simple solution to what happened with Bills Rams, and that's just the Bills are better right now. Now we're going to talk about some specifics from the game. The first narrative that I was interested to look at was the Christian Benford, Kair Elam rotation. So I went back and I went through every single one of the drives, and here's the way it played out. They rotated cornerbacks based on series, not plays. So it went Benford, Benford, Elam, Benford, Benford, Elam, Elam. And then the final drive of the game, it was Benford, Elam, and then both. So that's the way it worked from a series rotation. And what that tells me is that Christian Benford's the guy right now. Because Elam saw his first back-to-back series when the game was essentially out of hand. So right now, Benford's the guy. And I know... We've talked about this already, but we're going to touch on it again. No, I'm not worried about Kyrie Elam. I don't know what more we have to see from this regime after the Levi Wallace, after the Dane Jackson, and now the Christian Benford before we realize that the fact that the team can trust you to be where you're supposed to be in zone coverage is one of the most significant 
things when it comes to predicting playing time. And Kair Elam was a press man corner in college. The fact that Christian Benford would be more trustworthy, even right now, in zone coverage than Kair Elam is actually obvious when it's approached through that lens. Who does this team trust more in zone coverage? The guy who played a lot of it and also has a ton of college experience in ball production? Or the press man corner, who we took because he was toolsy and tradesy and we need to work on him? Which one of those things seems more likely? When looked at through that lens and the fact that we have the entire Levi Wallace tenure, the entire Dane Jackson tenure, we've heard how they spoke about Levi Wallace, we heard how they speak right now about Dane Jackson. Which one of the two players better fits the Dane Jackson, Levi Wallace archetype? Christian Benford or Kair Elam? Kair Elam absolutely is not the answer. Now, Benford's a better athlete than both Wallace and Jackson, but he still fits the archetype better. And the idea that he could be better right now at being where he's supposed to be as far as getting his landmarks and zone coverage... That's not only not surprising, it's expected. So I'm still not worried. One of the other narratives was the running back rotation. I mentioned before the game that one of my deep sleepers, the deepest of the deep, I actually called it, was Zach Moss, because I really thought Moss was going to get meaningful carries, meaningful touches. He ended up doing that. Now, we don't know how much of that was because James Cook fumbled on his first carry. I think a lot of those catches that went to Moss could have been designed with Cook in mind, but it didn't quite happen like that. Zach Moss had an 18% target share week one, which was sixth amongst all running backs. That doesn't feel like it was designed for Zach Moss. It feels like it was designed for James Cook. But I was interested to see how that was going to go. And I kept my eye on a tendency when the bills run out of shotgun single back it feels like it's more often Devin Singletary when they run out of 22 or 21 personnel under center it feels like it's more often Moss Moss is the quote-unquote heavy back and Singletary is the quote-unquote light back now what that means is that Singletary is going to run into better boxes than Zach Moss so it's important to keep that in mind and moving forward Singletary is going to run into lighter boxes if that tendency continues. But that also means Zach Moss might get goal line carries. So again, way too early for a trend because again, three games is a trend. But it's something I'm keeping my eye on because I don't think three plays is a trend. But it's something to take a look at. One of the other narratives that I want to talk about was specifically Josh Allen's average time to throw. 2.37 seconds. That's fast. That's really fast. And for Josh Allen, that's unbelievably fast. Josh Allen never been known as someone who has a particularly quick trigger because he does like to hang on to the ball. He likes to extend the play. He wants to make a play down the field. 2.37 seconds. And still had a really good game. Even when you don't hang on the ball very long, even when your average distance of target is 7.3 yards, which is 
right in the middle of the pack, fairly pedestrian by NFL terms. Arm strength really matters. There were a couple of throws where Josh Allen would actually throw it, and the Rams are like, yep, this is it. This is what we want him to do. He fell into our trap, and Josh Allen's like, no, 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 I, I see it. I just have a cannon. I understand what you're trying to do, but you're not going to get there in time. This is an example of playing above the X's and O's. This is why traits give you options. Because you can do the thing the defense is hoping that you will do and still win the down when you have that kind of arm. Some people think that the arm strength is just for fun. It's a toy. It's not a toy, it's a tool. It's not just for bombing the ball deep off-platform, making some ridiculous throw once or twice a game. No, it's for the pedestrian stuff too. It's making the pedestrian stuff more effective and less subject to the traps that defenses want to play on you. Traits give you options. And this particular trait allows you to make even the pedestrian stuff better. We're going to go to emails because I got a couple to get through. Evan says, I got a Monday Night Football Almighty take for you, Bruce. Yes, I'm sending this immediately following the shellacking of the Super Bowl champs by 21 despite four turnovers. I don't care. The Bills are going to blow out the Titans 45 to nothing. Devin Singletary becomes a workhorse, if only because he can actually take care of the football. Bills have 12 sacks on the season. Turns out Derrick Henry's foot's still an issue. Sorry, NFL. There's a new dynasty. I'm here for it. I actually don't think Derrick Henry looked bad against the Giants at all. I think the offensive line might be a problem overall. But I think Derrick Henry still got it, for sure. Jacob says, Good evening, O figment of my imagination. What a wild ride week one was. Not only were there many surprising results in sloppy football, the Bills throttled the Rams at home while they hung their banner. How good did that feel? With that said, after the overreactions of week one were over, the consensus top-tier teams right now seem to be Buffalo, Kansas City, and the Chargers. While we expected an improved Chargers squad, I'd like to compare and contrast the Bills and Chiefs wins because as we know, how and why are more important interrogatives than what I see what you did there. The similarities between the two teams in week one were that they dominated their opponents and offensive fireworks were prevalent. That's where the similarities end. Now the differences. Let's take a look at what Arizona did defensively to stop Mahomes. He uses a tweet from Draft Network and Locked On Bills host Joe Marino and says, what it sums up is this. Arizona repeatedly did the one thing you simply cannot do against Mahomes, blitz. To me, this win by Kansas City says far more about an unprepared opponent rather than changing any narrative on Kansas City being objectively worse than last year. It does nothing for me as far as moving the needle. Any competent defense is playing too high, getting pressure with four, and daring Mahomes to be patient. Let's get to Buffalo. The Rams literally did everything you're supposed to do to the Bills. Play too high, don't blitz, try and get pressure with four, and we've seen Allen struggle with this in the past. Instead, he had every answer and was downright surgical. So much so that early in the fourth, the Rams had to change what they were doing to try and throw him off, so they went single high to bring more pressure. All he did was go up top and burn them twice with Davis and Diggs. There is no longer a book on stopping the Bills. Josh burned the book on Thursday. I still think too high, get pressure with four scheme, gives Kansas City fits. 
They just played a defensive coordinator who clearly had no idea what he was doing. Thanks for all you do, Jake. I agree that there's more to learn about the Buffalo Bills' victory over the Rams than there is about the Kansas City Chiefs' victory over the Cardinals, and I agree with your reasoning. I do think that Kansas City might have more depth at receiver this year than they had previously. They don't have the elite talent on top, obviously with Tyreek Hill, but having the depth means you can have more answers on the field simultaneously. I like Juju, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Sky Moore. I like that trio a lot better when it's paired with Mecole Hardman than I did with Tyreek Hill, Mecole Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle. So I think the depth at wide receiver is better. And I don't see why after the Kansas City Chiefs struggle in the middle of last year, dealing with some of that too high stuff. If you'll notice correctly, they kind of figured that stuff out. I don't know if you remember this, but they did pretty well against the Buffalo Bills in the playoff game. So I don't think it's going to give them fits. I think that time for them to have fits with that is long past. So I think that the Bills are now getting to the area that the Chiefs have already been at. And I don't think Tyreek Hill was the key to beating too high. Getting the yak is incredibly valuable. But Andy Reid can draw up screenplays with the best of them. And one of the ways you can beat too high is by running the ball effectively. And Clyde Edwards-Alaire looked really good running the ball. So I agree that this week one tells you more about the Bills than the Chiefs, but I don't think we really needed to know all that much about the Chiefs. I've never been of the frame of mind that Patrick Mahomes is going to be lost without Tyreek Hill. I think the loss of Devontae Adams in Green Bay is much more significant than the loss of Tyreek Hill in Kansas City. Because so, so much of that offense was just Devontae Adams is going to get a bucket. So much of that offense was the fact that you can just count on Devontae Adams to just go get a bucket. Whereas there's a lot more of Andy Reid scheming things in Kansas City and the depth at receiver in Kansas City is probably better now than it was. I do not think the depth at receiver in Green Bay is better through the addition of Romeo Dubs, Christian Watson, Sammy Watkins. So, Nicholas says, Bruce, I'm writing to you with a question that I hope you will have time to address on the Bruce exclusive sometime soon. Yes, I will. I'll address it right now. But first, I'd like to emphasize how much I appreciate the podcast. Your clear-eyed analysis and life advice are weekly highlights for me. You and other Buffalo Bills content producers like yourself are among the many reasons why I love our football team and the fan base that surrounds it. I feel a deep sense of community when listening to your show. I hope you take comfort and satisfaction in knowing that you've helped me and many others. I'm sure they feel they are part of something bigger than themselves, especially at a time when we have experienced a global pandemic and the individual isolation that is brought. Thank you, Nicholas. I agree with everything you just said. I do feel like I'm part of something. Um, it's weird. You know, I'm, I'm very introverted as you probably figured out. Uh, I'm pretty shy overall. So connectivity is not something I seek out in a social setting, but the last couple of years of doing this does make me feel connected to a group. And it's interesting because I almost feel like I'm giving back to the community because I mentioned before that I was always moving around when I was a kid. I was always the new kid and being a Buffalo Bills fan and having an opportunity to interact with other Buffalo Bills fans, it made me feel like I had a home. 
I, there was some semblance of stability. And so I have oftentimes felt like that's what's what I'm doing now is I'm giving back for all the stuff that you guys gave me. So thank you. Nicholas says, anyways, my question is this. What do you think about how much Josh Allen ran the ball during the game against the Rams? I realize this question is open-ended, but hopefully such a prompt will help generate some good podcast content. Some of Josh's runs were understandable QB scrambles, while others seemed to be unnecessarily risky design runs. I could not help but get a terrible feeling in the pit of my stomach every time Josh took off with the ball, fearing that he could get injured and ultimately end up like Cam Newton. I understand he's always been this kind of player, but I had hoped he would put himself in less danger this season as he has matured. The game against the Rams did not assuage my concerns, and I wonder to what extent Ken Dorsey and Sean McDermott are discouraging him from taking these big hits. I feel there are two most likely possibilities, although other less likely possibilities certainly exist. Either Josh is running the ball more than they would like, or they are okay with how frequently he puts himself in danger. I have confidence in Sean McDermott as a coach. He assuredly knows far more about football than I ever will. But I do not understand why he allows Josh to take these risks, especially in week one when the Bills are already winning. So what am I missing? I'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast if you see value in addressing it publicly. And even if you don't, I still love the show and everything you do for this community. Keep on keeping on, Nick. I care about total quarterback hits. And I think quarterback hits in a pocket are worse than quarterback hits running the ball. So that's what I care about. So the less hits I can get on a quarterback, the better. But I fully understand that Josh Allen is Josh Allen. You can't have a six foot five, 240 pound quarterback who runs like Josh Allen and not have him take a hit. Josh Allen is actually probably far less in danger sliding feet first than he is just putting his shoulder down. We've seen multiple examples of quarterbacks who are really tall or trying to get down and slide and end up taking shots to the head and their head bounces off the turf. And it's bad. It's not an uncommon occurrence. It actually happened to Jalen Hurts against the Detroit Lions. It looked ugly, but he bounced up and I was happy for him. So some hits is okay. I agree with you. He took a little more hits than I'd like. And I love the ability to either have a quarterback sneak where he's protected from a lot of wind up. There's not a lot of momentum coming. Quarterback sneaks, just third and one, fourth and one. Sure, let's do that or rushes to the outside where its vision is controlled. He doesn't have to keep his head on a 180-degree swivel. He can just look at 45 degrees because one side is the sideline. And he has the ability of running out of bounds if he wants to. So those are the two types of runs I'm much more okay with. Quarterback sneaks and runs to the perimeter. Quarterback sneaks because nobody has an opportunity to get a running start on a hit on him. And to the perimeter, because I think you can better protect yourself when you're running to the outside. The things that get me really upset is when I'm watching a a zone read that is actually not super wide and he's got people coming at him from multiple angles and he's getting banged inside. Those are the things that go for me. Because I think there are other ways to make sure you're taking advantage of weaponizing the things that Josh Allen does well without also putting him in risk. So I agree. He took some shots that I wasn't thrilled about. But one game, three games is a trend. 
I'll get back to you if I think that this is a trend moving forward that I think may be problematic. The last thing I want to talk about on today's show is something I wrote an article about for buffalorumblings.com. And the opinion piece that I wrote was titled, Bill's defensive performance versus Rams was five years in the making. And I want to talk a little bit about that before we get out of here. I start off the article by making the following statement. Stopping the pass in today's NFL is like making the opposing quarterback solve a geometry problem with a time bomb strapped to his chest. One of my prouder metaphors. The better the coverage, the more difficult the geometry problem. The better the pass rush, the shorter the bomb's timer. Quarterbacks capable of breaking the pocket and extending the play can extend the timer. And quarterbacks who are above average, really good at reading defenses can solve the problem more quickly. Whether you are hashtag team pass rush or hashtag team coverage, as I am, in the endless debate over which may be more important, the goal of any team remains to marry the two concepts. And for the first time, since Sean McDermott became the head coach of the Bills in 2017, we saw a defensive performance that I feel like indicates the presence of a marriage between the two that would put Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson to shame. Think about the Bills' back seven versus the Bills' front four. The back seven is very similar this year to the ones from years gone by. If Tredavious White would not have been on the pup list to start the year, Every single starter for week one of 2022 in the back seven would have been someone who was on the roster in 2020. Not a lot of major turnover there. Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano, Taron Johnson. All these people were the same. But the defensive line, very, very different. Think about all the changes that have happened on the defensive line since Sean McDermott got to Buffalo. During the 2017 season, they traded Marcel Darius. In 2018, they signed Star Latule and Trent Murphy in free agency and then drafted Harrison Phillips. In 2019, they drafted Ed Oliver with the top 10 pick. In 2020, they signed Vernon Butler, Mario Addison, Quentin Jefferson. That was the year they let Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips walk. Then they drafted A.J. Epinesa at 54 overall. They didn't have a first-round pick there because they traded it for Stephon Diggs. In 2021, they went back to the well again, drafted Gregory Rousseau in the first round, Boogie Basham in the second. And then just a few months ago, they signed Von Miller to a six-year, $120 million contract. They signed Daquan Jones and Tim Settle. They brought back Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson. During this same time, very little has changed on the defensive back seven. They got it right early in the tenure, but they just kept tweaking and tweaking and tweaking and tweaking. Just like they were trying to isolate the variable early on with Josh Allen by bringing in veterans around the developing quarterback, they held the back seven in place for the most part they isolated the variable with the defensive line and just kept tweaking and tweaking and tweaking until they got what they wanted. And they got what they wanted against the Rams. It may have taken a bit, but the back seven of the Buffalo Bills defense has found its soulmate 
with the current Buffalo defensive line. Not too long ago, I attended a wedding and I signed the card, here's to a long and happy marriage. May the same also be true for the Bills' defensive line and the Bills' back seven. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rockets. <laughs>